Hello, everyone. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of Live in Conversation. I know it's been a while. Um, As I had mentioned, I believe, in Episode 4, that I was going to be going on a bit of a break for a little bit from the podcast just to, you know, celebrate my birthday week and all that, you know, that season because I had a bunch of stuff planned. Um, And, you know, so, yeah, but um, basically, I... um, you know, I had a great week and everything. That's fine and dandy. But I also was very active on, um, well, Twitter. Not not anymore Twitter, actually. It's it's actually X now. They actually changed the name on my phone. It's official. Um, except half of the buttons and stuff on this so-called X app still say things relating to Twitter and tweeting. And yeah, no. And, and the button accent is still blue for, for all the buttons. So, uh, you know... Not really the best rebrand, in my opinion. Um, it really hasn't been going well for him, now, has it? But, um, you know, and then additionally with that, of course, uh, I was talking about the whole logo issue on, on my Twitter account or my X account, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I was talking about that on my account um, during the little podcast break there. Um, so, yeah, but, uh, you know. And then additionally, while I was gone, I introduced technically four in total, um, pieces of, of state legislation, um, or, well, plans and initiatives that I plan to incorporate, um, if I'm elected as governor. Um, the biggest one obviously being my, um, my plan called the Golden State Revitalization Plan, which is basically a, a, a very intricate and detailed process into revitalizing, reforming, and renewing the state of California, you know, bring it up to today's standards, and improve the quality of life in every single aspect possible, um, you know. And then additionally, I made three plans, um, which are all called, you know, the city name, followed by a collaborative restoration initiative, I believe is what I called it, actually. Let's double check, because, you know, I went through a couple different names for all of these plans, and those was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's like the best part. So, okay. So... We have the San Francisco Collaborative Restoration Initiative, along with the Los Angeles Collaborative Restoration Initiative and the San Diego Collaborative Restoration Initiative. Those are the other three pieces that I had um, published to the public. Um, So I'm going to start with the big one, obviously, the big, big one, um, the one that affects the entire state, which is my Golden State Revitalization Plan. Um, Now, the plan is set out to address critical issues that you know, are, are big issues with this state, um, which is, you know, education reform, drug abuse, the prevention of drug abuse and trafficking of drugs, um, ending homelessness crisis, lowering taxes, lowering inflation, significantly reducing crime rates, health and environmental initiatives, um, addressing abuse of power by authority figures such as police, border patrol, federal agents, you know, whatever it might be. Taxing corporations, the top 1%, millionaires and billionaires. Um, and, you know, I, f- I feel like, you know, this is a very multifaceted approach. Um, one, one that I really haven't seen enough of, you know, that's been actually implemented into, you know, government, particularly in California, which is a state that I personally believe needs it the most. You know, um, I personally think that, you know, the state has gone through hell and back at this point a few times in a row, um, and, and the state government has done nothing, and, and the, the steps that have been taken, I feel, are, are quite minimal in comparison to what, you know, can legally be done. And, you know, I'm not just going to 
it's I'm obviously, you know, we have Governor Newsom, who I have praised a little bit, actually, in the news um, quite a few times, you know, just on my page and everything. I've praised Governor Newsom for things he's done quite a few times. You know, I'm, I'm not 100% eye to eye with him because I, I do believe there are, there are better steps and better approaches that will get things done more efficiently and quicker. Yes, I believe that 100%. There's, there's better ways, there's more efficient ways that come out with better outcomes and more efficient outcomes, you know. But, you know, I mean, you're entitled to your own opinion, of course. Um, now, obviously, he can't run for a third term. He's term limited, which means he can't run in the 2026 election. But his lieutenant governor and state controller are both running in the Democratic primary, along with myself. Um, so, yeah. But um, I, I just personally wrote this plan, and I'm like, these are top issues in this state that, that have been either neglected or just full-on, you know, silenced or, or minimalized as if it's not a real problem. And a lot of people, um, uh, you know, they get praise when they, when they you know, focus on the cities. When, when they become governor of California, a lot of, a lot of governors, you know, they want to focus on the cities. They want to focus on San Diego, um, San Francisco, L.A., Sacramento, because that's the capital you know, they want to focus on a few select cities and the surrounding regions of those cities. And then the rest of it kind of gets, you know, tossed away in a way, you know, it's not really cared with as much, you know, I personally think that, you know, if we're going to take care of the cities, we need to take care of every single other region of this state, you know, I'm running for governor for a reason. I'm not running to, you know, improve the quality of life in three or four cities in the entire state. No, I'm running to improve the quality of life for everybody within that state. I'm not running just because I can. I'm, and I'm not running for the money or for the title or for the political power. You know, I'm not running for any of that. And I'm not, and I'm not running to, to push an agenda. Um, I actually got into a little X feud or Twitter feud. I don't know what it would be called now, but I would call it a Twitter feud or a Twitter, Twitter battle. Um, with a couple of quote-unquote non-Republicans, which I really don't believe for a goddamn second, by the way, because um, <laughs> most of the stuff they said was very, very far right, in my opinion. Um, some of it was, was versed well within the Constitution, and I understand that. Um, and we were actually, it began as a whole two-way argument, Second Amendment. And realistically, the only thing that the Second Amendment says is the right to bear arms. Only thing that that entire amendment pretty much guarantees the people of this country. Only thing it guarantees. It does not prohibit future laws or amendments that would focus on gun safety. Additionally, assault weapons bans doesn't doesn't guarantee that either. And there there's there's a reason obviously for that back back when the second amendment was written, there was no AR15s, there weren't even regular pistols. There were muskets and cannons. There was no AR15 going into an elementary school. There was none of that. There was none there was no automatic weapons. There was nothing of that sort because it wasn't developed yet. It wasn't invented yet. Technology has advanced. Weaponry has advanced. Technology has advanced. Everything has advanced. It's been a long time since these amendments were written and we have not touched them. I personally think 
the language can get a quite uh, quite confusing, especially as we start putting in new generations and new rounds of c- members of Congress, whether it be representatives, whether it be senators. Um, you know, even in the executive branch, eventually we're going to have the newer generation coming in and they're not going to have a damn clue what any of this means. You know, we already have a confused SCOTUS that, you know, can't seem to realize when they're openly breaking the Constitution with their rulings. But, you know, we're going to talk about that another day. You know, these constitutional amendments really don't protect as much as, as people think they do. A lot of people that are pro-2A seem to think that 2A guarantees their right to have an AR-15. It doesn't. Fundamentally, and if you read it as if you are a lawyer or a member of, you know, a legal team or a legal system or even a judicial, like a judge, you would realize it says citizens have the right to bear arms and it cannot be infringed upon, which means... If we're looking at this from a legal slash judicial standpoint, the citizens have the right to bear arms. Obviously, that means you have the right to bear a firearm. It doesn't mean you have you get the right to own a pair of arms that belong to a bear. You know that's that's obviously not what it means. I'm not saying you know it's something stupid like that because that's that's outlandish. But what I do think. It never said you can have your AR-15. It never said you can own a bazooka. It never said you could own anything outrageous. Because if you own military-level stuff, or even stuff that's even more dangerous than stuff the military even might be typically and traditionally using, you shouldn't have that. You are, you are just a citizen. You are a citizen of this country. You, you are not in the military. You are not fighting for this country. Same thing with the SWAT. You know, they, they actually need this material. Yet, you know, we're having issues issues providing useful materials to the SWAT departments and to the military. We're having issues with this, which is why we're spending so much money on the Defense Department and, you know, our military and all that. Because it the, the supply chain just gets more expensive over time. You know, that's obvious. But additionally... They realize they can make more money off of the government, so they're going to try to. I personally think it's, it's ridiculous. It's unconstitutional, and it's ridiculous. But what I will say, right, what I will say about this, 2A does not guarantee your right to have an AR-15. 2A does not guarantee your right to carry a, a bottle of pepper spray even. It does not guarantee your right to carry anything in particular when it comes to divisions of weaponry. It strictly says that you have the right to bear arms. There is no piece of legislation within 2A that strictly says that the government cannot place certain groups... As, a pro- as being prohibited. The legislation does not prohibit the government from being authorized to ban or prohibit specific weapon groups as long as the citizen has a legal means to purchase a type of firearm. 
I personally think we don't need AR-15s. We don't need all these extreme weapons. My stance has changed a slight little, little itty bitty bit. I still believe in my whole original proposal of, oh yeah, you could have a small firearm. You just can't take it out of your property line. It can only be used within self-defense. You can't set up a little shooting target in your house. Can't do that. I've changed it a little bit. I still believe in that. But additionally, I do believe, you know, if we can actually take control of the NRA federally and we tell them, nope, this is not your this is not your shooting range anymore, because if the NRA thinks they can just host shooting ranges, that that's completely backwards. I, I think the NRA should not be managing any gun range because they're the people who who profit off of pro-gun laws and, and gun sales, they ha- that's a conflict of interest. You need to take them out. You are no longer authorized to own a shooting range. The government needs to step in, take control of shooting ranges. We need to establish a department like the NRA without the bias and without the lobbying and without the corruption. And we need to federally manage that department. And that department should be in charge of shooting ranges and keeping them extremely safe. We need extremely precautious guidelines strictly followed and in place at shooting ranges if we ever want them to be open in the first place. The idea that shooting ranges aren't even properly maintained anymore is ridiculous. A few years ago, I saw, I saw some pictures. A family member went to a shooting range. I saw some pictures they had taken. There were bullets all over the goddamn place. All over. Not a single thing was cleaned. That is obviously a hazard. Because if you go to pick up your bullets, guess what? You could very well have tripped off some of them bullets. I'm telling you that much. The amount of bullets that was there, I could probably swim in them. It's absurd. It's not just a cleanliness factor. It's, it's a hazard. <laughs> it's a blatant hazard. You know, so this place didn't even have dividers in between the shooting lanes. Didn't even have dividers. So when you went to go grab your bullet, what if what if one of the next people's bullets went to the side? It, there's no divider stopping that bullet from getting to your side and hitting you. There were zero dividers and there were zero spacing in between. And that was in West Virginia. <laughs> Americans need to wake up and realize that some of the stuff that is being practiced at these shooting ranges is barbaric and it is unsafe. There are strict guidelines that need to be followed to ensure the health and safety of everybody that visits. And that includes, you know, my, my feeling from earlier. You don't need to bring an AR-15 to the shooting range. You can have your little, your little pistol or your smaller firearm. You don't need to bring an AR-15. If we could ever trust people again in this nation to not go insane, maybe at the shooting range there can be an AR-15, but it can only remain in the shooting range and there will be people watching. That's why I think the government needs to take control of shooting ranges. They need to be the only ones opening shooting ranges because they can enforce laws. The NRA cannot. The, the most that somebody at an AR, NRA firing range can do is call the police. And the police are going to take ages to get there with the way that we have, we have you know, underfunded them. 
It's common sense. It is not going to work out the way that it is currently expected to work out by GOP lawmakers. It is not going to work out. They just want to hope that it will. They want to basically guess, take a wild guess. It's it's like, um, you know, if you blindfolded yourself and threw a dart at at what option (laughs) you were going to take. And all the options are very, very different and drastic and just random and spontaneous. And then they went with the most outlandish one, probably, that was on there. And they said, ah, yeah, we're going to go with that. And it's ridiculous. Um, So, yeah, that's where I stand on that. Um, You know, I just think it benefits everybody, in my opinion. And realistically speaking, I made a very good point on this, actually. Um, I made a post. We are officially, as a nation, we are in zero wars currently. Not a single war that has been started is legally declared. The past few wars that have been declared are illegal wars, according to the Constitution. They are illegal wars, yet we have continued to fund them and entertain them. Not even the war in Iraq was legal. That was an illegal war. Several wars that we have, we have began within the Middle East are illegal. There is no permission by Congress to have begun that war. There is zero permission that Congress gave in the proper manner that said, oh, yep, here's a declaration of war. There was no declaration of war. It is an informal war, and it is an illegal, unconstitutional, inhumane war, and that all needs to end. There needs to be stricter punishment for the president, because the president is the one who has decided all of this. As the commander-in-chief, he is the one who is deciding all of this. And it needs to be put to an end, and there needs to be stricter punishment. This needs to become a, a, a federal offense. You're making the people pay for a war that isn't even official. You don't have a, an official declaration of war for this war whatsoever. You don't have one because you never went through the process to make it legal. You just cared about how you looked in the headlines, and you just cared about what the people in, in, in the South might have thought of you, because you were scared that you were losing approval ratings after you campaigned on 9-11. And yes, I'm talking about George Bush. There was no reason for us to have illegally declared war. I think, you know, if it really had escalated to the level of war, we... we I'm, I, w- I would have been okay with it if it actually declared as a war. If there was an actual declaration of war, I would have barely any issues with this right now. You know, I still think war is inhumane and it's, it, it's a little ridiculous that we need to continue to have it. Obviously. I believe that. Do I think in, in the past a couple of them have kind of been forced to become necessary? Yes, I do. But, you know, that, that's just my stance on that. Now, I want to talk about the thing that we're all here for, and I know I rambled for a little bit. This is actually going to be a really long episode, probably. So, you know, sit down and get a drink, I guess. <laughs> it's going to be a while. So, the Golden State Revitalization Plan, as I said before, it touches several topics. You know, first thing on the docket, education reform. We're going to be enhancing the funding. We're going to, you know, we're supporting the high-quality educators, 
you know, we need to introduce competitive salaries. We need, you know, professional development opportunities, recognition platforms or programs, not platforms. You know, we need all these things. We need to empower the educators. The educators have been paid poorly, extremely poorly. We don't even pay them over the summer. We expect them to, to save their checks for three months. It's ridiculous, in my opinion. We also, I believe, you know, we need to modernize our curriculum, um, which is a big part of education reform. Um, you know, that's what most people see it as in its entirety. You know, there's other aspects, of course, but this is the big one. Um, you know, modernizing our curriculum. Um, now, modernizing our curriculum would include developing a dynamic curriculum. It aligns with the needs of the changing job market, emphasizes critical thinking, problem-solving, digital literacy skills. Curriculum would also allow for furthered student choice when it comes to enrichment courses. So, you know, whether that means, you know, every single school has to give the student the choice. I'm pretty sure every school already kind of does. But it gives them even more choices to make because we're going to allow for more enrichment courses based on very important skills like, you know, learning how to pay taxes, how to cook, you know, how to do this, how to do that, you know, just basic, you know, core stuff that, you know, we should be teaching our children and not, you know, trigonometry. (laughs) Um, Additionally, of course, here we go. Yep. Um, additional enrichment courses will be added into the state curriculum along with the modernization process, basically just what I said. Um, you know, and this one is kind of a shot at Florida. Um, but you know, I just want it in here cause it's just good. You know, um, the curriculum will be protected from material that uses false information and slash or partisan bias to promote a certain ideology or agenda. This protection of the curriculum will be cemented permanently to prevent interference and manipulation of the younger generations. I personally think this is this is just logical common sense. You know, Florida has has basically just used false information with zero evidence to push an an agenda, which allows for racism in this country. And I think it's ridiculous. And then obviously the final step, addressing educational disparities. You know, we need to implement programs to bridge the achievement gap among different socioeconomic groups and ensure equal opportunities for all students. You know, I think personally the affirmative action is a good thing. The Supreme Court was out of their goddamn minds when they got rid of it because it it basically ends equal opportunity. Affirmative action is literally a step of equal opportunity. And they have just gotten rid of it. Like, it's nothing. It, it's ridiculous. Affirmative action is a part of equal opportunity. And I'm not going to stop saying that until this, the Supreme Court realizes that it is. You know, and a lot of people, a lot of people try to say to me, oh, Trump didn't pack the Supreme Court. Then what the hell do you call this? 6-3 majority over the entirety of the nine seats within the Supreme Court. Just suddenly, and he was able to introduce three of those people while in office? Come on. Or, well, I believe it's only two people he introduced, but one that he pretty much has as a puppet. Come on. It's ridiculous that we're even thinking that this is, this is totally normal. It's not. It's blatantly packing the Supreme Court, and we need to put that to an end. We need to make it illegal to pack the Supreme Court. I think the Supreme Court should be up for election every four years, and I think it should be fairly balanced. 
by allowing for election of Supreme Court justices, that will allow for the people to vote for what's in their best interest, like any good democracy would. This is a country built on democracy, and the democracy that we are currently in is failing every single person in this country because we've allowed the Supreme Court to go unchecked and unlimited. And this was inevitably going to happen at some point or another, whether it be on the right or the left. I always thought it would happen on the right, and I was 100% correct. Because look what's happening now. You know, so I just put that in there, of course, you know, when it comes to protecting the curriculum. Because we, we can't just allow the curriculum to succumb to false information and, you know, partisan bias and just straight up lies. Um, my next step on the Golden State Revitalization Plan is drug abuse prevention. Um, we're going to do public awareness campaigns, which which will um, educate communities about the dangers of drug abuse and promote prevention of drug abuse and also rehabilitation as well, which will be a part of this all, of course. Um, as accessible treatment facilities, we're going to incre- increase the availability of sub- substance abuse treatment centers, mental health services, to support individuals struggling with addiction currently, um, to aid in the process of rehabilitation. People who are struggling with uh, drug addiction will be referred to treatment rather than to the law enforcement. Law enforcement will prioritize the arrest of mass distributors and trafficking of these drugs rather than, you know, arresting the person who's taking them and who has fallen, uh, to the drug, of course, um, I believe that, you know, we need to arrest the traffickers, the smugglers, and the and the distributors of these drugs. We don't need to be arresting the people who have fallen victim to these drugs. Um, supportive reintegration programs. Um, I'm going to establish reintegration programs to assist individuals recovering from drug abuse in a- accessing employment, housing, and community support. And then last but not least on that docket, um, collaborative enforcement efforts. Um, we are going to enhance collaboration between law enforcement, healthcare providers, and community organizations to combat drug trafficking and drug distribution. In addition, the penalty for trafficking and distribution of drugs will be increased. The minimum sentence for drug trafficking and distribution will be 25 years in prison, in, in state prison, along with a minimum fine of $20,000, which, if you look right now, $20,000 is, is the maximum fine. Um, we're making the maximum the minimum because this stuff is no joke. I put this on, on the list close to murder and kidnapping because you're murdering these people. You are essentially murdering these people if you are trafficking and distributing these drugs that you know are dangerous. That's what I think. So let me find out. The maximum, there we go, the maximum for the sentence can be up to life in state prison. And along with a fine up to $125,000, in certain circumstances, the maximum fine rate will be increased to $250,000 if the defendant is proven to have caused the fatality of more than one person. So if you've, um, here's the thing, if you've uh, basically caused the casualties or the fatalities of of greater than one person, that fine limit, the the maximum of your fine limit goes up to $250,000 from $125,000. So 250000 is your max, and life in prison is your max if you've caused the deaths of more than two people, or more than one person. So if you starting with two people and up, that's your, that's your thing. Um, and the minimum for 
two people and above is encouraged to be increased accordingly, um, along with damages to the family, of course. In addition, um, you know, how many people and how big the issue has become. Um, So, yeah, I think it is no joke. A lot of people seem to like to make jokes about it. It is no joke. And I will make sure it's not treated as a joke. This one's a big one. Ending the homelessness crisis. Um, the first thing I plan to do is begin uh, begin investing in affordable housing initiatives um, and projects, including low-income housing tax credits, incentive programs for developers of these housing complexes. The housing initiatives will seek to prioritize and expedite the process of creating affordable housing while ensuring maximum efficiency and minimal environmental impact in the process. Obviously, I believe we need to take care of our environment and we need to maximize efficiency simultaneously. I will find a way to ensure that that applies to the development of affordable housing. And I will make sure that it does not impact the affordability of housing. Additionally, we're going to be providing wraparound support services, um, which are comprehensive support services, including mental health care, job training, and addiction treatment to help homeless individuals regain stability um, and reintroduce them back into, you know, modern day society and all that, whatever. Um, Access to basic necessities such as food, water, and shelter will be provided to all homeless individuals in the state. Um, You know, a big issue with that, of course, is actually getting them to accept um, all the stuff from the state. Um, but we're going to we're going to work toward doing that, of course, um, and we're going to be hands on with the approach and we're going to be there ourselves, you know, making sure people are OK, because at the end of the day, these people are human, too. And there's no reason we should be discriminating against them just based on, you know, their housing status. It's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, you know, these people have been through hell and back and are still in hell, in my opinion, and we need to take them out of it and we need to put them back into affordable housing. We need to give them the stuff that they need to survive healthy. Additionally, I am going to begin um, rental assistance programs um, to prevent homeless and aid those at risk of losing their homes because, you know, homelessness isn't a solution that you can just get everybody off the street, put them into housing, and then expect it to all disappear. There are people going homeless on the daily in this state. On the daily, there are people going homeless in our state And no one's doing anything about that. We need to provide assistance when it comes to paying for your house. If you're in danger of losing your house and going homeless, the state is going to step in and we're going to tell you, here's the money that you need to stay afloat and to keep your house. In addition, we will go to, you know, whether it be the landlord or the property owner or the bank with the mortgage, and we're going to tell them, you know, we're going to we're going to hopefully introduce a law, a state law that says, you know, the state has the right to go to these people, landlords, banks that are holding mortgages and all that. We're going to make it so that we can have the right to go and tell them you need to lean off and you need to, you need to basically lean off on these extreme high payments because a lot of the time it is caused by extremely high payments. So we're going to hopefully lower those, of course. Um, we're going to plan to do that. Um, so, yeah, that'll that'll assist the people currently on street and, you know, at risk of 
um, being kicked onto the streets, unfortunately. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna work as, as a two-way system and a two-way road. Um, you know, there's people going in, there's people going out. We need to make sure that no more people are going into the homelessness crisis. We need to make sure that everybody's getting out. That is already in it. That's how I see it. And then we need public-private partnerships. Um, I, I believe the state government needs to foster partnerships between the government, businesses, nonprofit organizations to address homelessness collectively. You know, there's several amazing organizations, nonprofit organizations, that allow homeless people to be able to eat and, and have food and water. You know, these, these are amazing nonprofit organizations, and I believe the state needs to sponsor them. I believe that the state needs to sponsor them because these people are doing something that the state government has, has, hasn't really done. Ever. And I think not only is it time for the state government to begin assisting these people, but in addition, I think it's time the state government needs to additionally financially assist these organizations. You know, um, that's, that's just personally what I think. Um, I believe all of these steps will hopefully end it pretty quickly. Um, because, you know, it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking to see, you know, what's really going on. If you actually look at photos and videos, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and I've seen quite a lot of them. So, you know, um, yeah. And then lowering taxes is my next point. Um, I'm going to create a, a tax reform commission, which will comprising, which will comprise of experts and stakeholders to review the current tax structure, recommend fair and efficient reforms, um, the commission is going to prioritize lowering taxes of working class and lower class citizens while also increasing taxes on corporations and individuals who are within the upper class and top 1%. Um, you know, there's only so much we can do as a state. Um, you know, there's obviously federal tax and state tax. Obviously, we can't really do much about federal tax. Um, will I um, introduce and write legislation and submit that to Congress, um, that would basically make the IRS much simpler, much easier, and also promote the lowering of taxes. Would I introduce legislation? Would I write that legislation? Would I even assist in, in similar legislation, extremely similar legislation? Absolutely, I would, 100%. I would take every opportunity I could get to do so. So yeah, um, you know, obviously I'm going to, you know... <laughs> Um, assist in writing legislation when it comes to that. Um, but additionally, we're going to do our part with the state tax and we're going to bring that down. Um, so yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to form a tax reform commission for the state. Um, additionally, we're going to, you know, give targeted tax incentives for small businesses, small startups, um, and industries that, that promote and support sustainable economic growth. There is an exclusion to these um, incentives. These incentives are only being given to, to small businesses and, you know, industries and corporations that do not cause mass pollution. If an, if an industry is, is, is promoting, pr polluting a lot of stuff, you're not getting incentives from my administration. I'm sorry. If anything, you're going to get taxed more because this state has, is no place for mass pollution. You, you can go ahead and do that in Texas. You can go ahead and do that anywhere else. That's not happening in California. That's not happening in my California, I'll tell you that much. 
Um, additionally, we're going to give tax relief for lower low income earners. Um, we're going to implement tax relief measures for low income earners to reduce their financial burdens. It's just common sense at this point. We need we need to get that done, and we need to make sure that's solidified and that'll stay in place, and that isn't going anywhere. Um, I think we need to tax the corporations in the top one percent. Something I I just recently actually touched on, but we're going to go more in depth here. Um, I'm planning on introducing, you know, progressive tax policies, of course, as a progressive myself, um, I plan to introduce progressive tax policies, um, that ensure corporations and the wealthiest individuals and top 1% or whatever, whatever you call them, pay their fair share based on their income and assets. We need to also take steps, and this is legislation I would, um, introduce to federal level, which would close all the loopholes that all the top 1% in the corporations use. Um, and additionally, the state taxes are going to be raised. So, you know, the state taxes for your headquarters, the state taxes for your warehouses and your, and your mansions, those are all going up. The property taxes for the state are all going up on those. Because you clearly have the money to be blowing on private jets and billion-dollar corporations that you're buying by the day. So why isn't the state getting money from your taxes? Why isn't the state, why isn't the country getting money from your taxes? I think it's time they pay their fair share. And I think it's time we release the burden off of the working class and the lower class citizens of this nation. I think it's time we put an end to that because it's absolutely ridiculous that we've, we've allowed ridiculously unfair and uneven taxation policies to take control of this nation. Um, you know, it's done nothing but hurt the working class and also the lower class. <laughs> Also, I believe in lowering inflation. I believe we need to diversify our economic structure um, as a state. Um, I'm going to be, as governor, I will encourage economic diversification by supporting emerging industries and promoting innovation and entrepreneurship. Of course, again, these emerging industries must not be causing mass pollution or any environmental issues to occur um, to be, you know, encouraged by the state, if you will. Um, you know, that's just what I believe. Um, I believe we need to further, um, introduce development on our infrastructure. I believe we need to invest in infrastructure projects to boost economic productivity, create job opportunities. Um, and of course, additionally, I think we need to take measures to promote price stability. I believe we need to prevent, obviously implement the measures to stabilize prices and control inflation, including prudent fiscal and monetary policies. Um, and then the next, um, this one's a very long one, geez, um, significantly reducing our crime rates. Obviously, the crime rates are absurd in California. I think we need to significantly reduce them. And I think we need to do a crackdown on crime. Um, first off, I think we need to do community policing initiatives. We need to establish them and encourage them that um, these things will these uh, community programs will foster positive relationships between law enforcement and local communities. Um, additionally, I will be um, est um, establishing and, and promoting the creation of prevention and intervention programs, which would develop proactive intervention programs intervention programs to address root causes of crime, focusing on youth development and at-risk populations. Um, another point is I um, will support and encourage rehabilitation and reintegration. Um, I obviously, again, support rehabilitative programs for offenders to reduce... I always forget how to say this word. <laughs> oh my goodness. I know how to say it and I know what it means, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Because it's a very, very weird word. 
Um, and also the font is acting really strange. I think we need to support rehabilitative programs for offenders to reduce, I don't know, recidivism. I I don't know how to say it correctly. I never really learned how to pronounce that one that well. And aid um, in their successful reintegration into society. So basically what this means is I believe that um, we need to support rehabilitative programs for for offenders to aid in their successful reintegration into society. That's basically what it means in in the short and simple terms, because I completely blanked on how to pronounce that word. I've pronounced it just fine before, but it is very early in the morning, in all fairness, so, you know. Um, And this is the biggest one, because it's very important. Um, Addressing abuse of power by authority figures. uh, I will establish independent oversight bodies to investigate and address address abuse of power cases within law enforcement, government agencies, and other authoritarian authoritative entities. Additionally, abuse of power for, from authority figures will become a felony offense in the state of California with a sentence of five years in prison in addition to a fine ranging from $1,250 to $25,000 based on the amount of physical and mental damages caused by the situation, whether that damage should be caused um, toward the individual affected or toward their family. Um, and additionally, if it, if the injuries result in a fatality, you know, you will be charged with um, murder, of course. We will be working on charging that. Additionally, um, you know, authoritative figures are not above the law. That, that's just a fact. They're not above the law. And we're going to treat them like they're normal citizens because they're not above the law. You don't get to flaunt that you're, you're, you're a government agent or you're, you're a police officer. You don't get to flaunt that. <sighs> The money from the fines will be given directly to the family that was affected by the abuse of power, or if the individual is still alive at that point in time, that will go directly to them as well. Um, Authority figures who are charged with this offense of abuse of power. Um, Hold on, where did I, I lost my train of thought? Here we go. Authority figures who are charged with this offense will no longer be allowed to legally seek employment work in the police force or any other government agency within the state, if an authority, fi- a former authority figure that was charged with this um, charge, is caught working at a state department or any caliber um, relating to authority, um, following obviously a previous charge of abuse of power, that department will be investigated by the state, and the authority figure will be subjected to anywhere from six to twelve years in state prison. Um, obviously, that would count as a repeated offense of abuse of power. Considering the fact that after abuse of power, you are no longer allowed to seek employment within any sort of state department, whether it be a police department, including federal jobs as well, you are no longer allowed to seek those because those have things directly to do with authority. You are not allowed to seek jobs where you are an authority figure after you are charged with abuse of power as an authority figure. That's personally what I will um, support. Health and environment. Um, health equity initiatives. Um, I'm going to prioritize health equity by improving access to quality health care services in underserved communities, addressing health disparities, and promoting preventative care. 
Um, Additionally, I am going to um, implement policies to protect the environment, reduce carbon emissions, and promote sustainable practices such as renewable energy adoption and green infrastructure development. In addition, a sizable tax, the amount of the tax being dependent on the amount of damage done to the environment, will be taken from all pollution sources within the state of California. Um, Obviously, this is the state pollution tax, um, which used to be the city pollution tax back when I was running for mayor of Los Angeles. But obviously, I'm not running for mayor anymore. I'm running for governor. So it's a very different um, role. And it's going to be much widely, more widely enforced. Um, So yeah, and then public health preparedness. um, We all know where this one's going. Um, It's a very short one, though. Enhance public health preparedness and response capabilities to effectively handle further health crises and pandemics. I know that one brought us a flashback straight back to 2020 now, didn't it? Um, I'm sorry about that. Um, But, you know, I think it's very important that we we prepare and we have the resources readily available for the moment that anything like this ever happens again, because it inevitably will happen again. And anyone who thinks it won't is is completely delusional. Um, it's, it's scientifically proven that obviously it is going to happen again at some point, whether it be very soon or in the far future. Point is, we still need to have these resources prepared and ready to go. Um, you know, um, obviously, you know, there's a whole section on implementation and the monitoring and enhancements as we go along. You can choose to read that in the fully published version, um, which is now available on my website. Um, in addition, I have three plans that are all very similar for San Francisco, Los Angeles, and San Diego. Um, these are all plans that will aim to you know, uh, in, in a way, I guess, you know, reform and rehabilitate, um, you know, all these sorts of things, um, that are going on in, in those cities, you know, homelessness, again, traffic congestion is another one of them in San Diego, of course, you know, the border, the fair treatment of, um, uh, migrants and everything and immigrants, you know, we need the fair ethical treatment of them because they're human beings just like we are. Um, in addition, obviously, you know, several of the points that I obviously touch on within the Golden State Revitalization Plan, um, are also included and, and backed up yet again in all those plans. Those plans are actually going to be uploaded in full later today on my website additionally, but, um, if you go onto my, um, Twitter or my X account, I retweeted a post where I actually shared all three of those plans. Um, so yeah, but, um... So, this is the longest episode in this show's history. We are at 46 minutes right about now, yep, and it's 46 minutes. So, yeah, but um, I just really wanted to get this out, and I'm glad to be back recording the podcast finally. I feel like it's been so long. It took me a minute to figure out how to do it again, I'm not gonna lie, but, um, you know. So, yeah, but um, thank you all for listening in to Season 2, Episode 5 of live in conversation um and hopefully tomorrow i will have another episode out i don't know what i'm going to talk about yet but um we're gonna figure that out um so yeah i just wanted to get on here and bring up all that and you know just recap and summarize all the stuff that i plan to do for californians so yeah and also some stuff i missed (laughs) um while i was gone so yeah but thank you all for listening in and i'll see you guys next time